just all off in the way that we are recording today. Everything is weird. We've got a dog standing over the microphone right now. We're sitting next to each other in the same room, not in New York City. Not in New York City, no. Uh, we've recorded two of our segments already, and now we're going back for uh, segment number one. So it's like that Seinfeld episode where they go to the wedding in India, and they do the whole episode backwards. Everything's weird today. <laughs> I don't yes. know what's going on. Well, first off, let me say it is very lovely to be here in your home. Hey, good to have you. Yeah, good in, to lo- have in lovely Denver, Colorado, which I have not seen much of, because I got in very late last night and have been working... All day, but it, I have been spending all day in your apartment, and it is very wonderful. If anybody gets a chance to rent it on Airbnb, uh, wait for my review later. I'm going to be here all weekend, so, so think, four, there's still time four for star to go or five star. We're, we're still on the edge, but uh, <laughs> still time for things to be screwed up. Yeah, but no, this is a this is a very special episode. Yeah, the this is the show. a very special episode. <laughs> um, this uh, is the 165th episode of the show before the show. Wherever you're tuned in, we thank you for tuning in. Um, we were supposed to have a third member of the tripod here for the weekend, but unfortunately, Josh Jackson came down with a case of um, like Marburg fever or something, and uh, so he'll not be here with us this weekend. And get well soon, Josh. We love you. Um, which I know he'll listen and then text me and be like, oh, you jerks had to point out that I couldn't make it this weekend. Sorry, Josh. We, do. Um, we just do it because we want to say we love you, Josh. That's all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly, Josh. Jeez. Um, but yeah, we've got like a full weekend plan. We're going to hit up the, uh, the Colorado Rockies game coming up on Saturday. We're recording this on Thursday. Our apologies for getting it to you a day late, but we figured recording together would be all kinds of fun. Right. So we're doing that. Um, we're going to... I don't know, do some other stuff. We're going to go to the mountains tomorrow, we're hang on the mountains. We're going to see the Rockies on Saturday, and we're also going to see the Rockies. The real Rockies. On Friday. On Friday, followed by the baseball Rockies on Saturday. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a whole lot of fun stuff coming up for you on this episode of the show before the show, including um, when Laika, the official mascot of the show before the show, shakes her collar right next to the microphone as we're interviewing Colorado Rockies number six prospect Garrett Hampson coming up in a little bit. Um, then Laika, I think, knocks the microphone almost over at some point. So you can listen for those. They're like little Easter eggs in this episode. Um, we'll hear from Benjamin Hill coming up here in a little bit. Another. This is a very Colorado-themed episode, fittingly enough. You're here, Garrett Hampson, Rockies prospect. The rookie-level Orem Owls appear to be on the verge of moving to Pueblo, Colorado. We'll cover that news coming up a little while later uh, with Benjamin Hill when we discuss Ben's latest road trip and that news, uh, among other topics. It's a very, it's a centennial state kind of episode, Sam. Yeah, I, I wish I could say that was fully by design, as if we controlled. <laughs> we just kind of fell that into Orem it. was going to announce this week, yeah. and also that they were going to head to Pueblo, Colorado, of all places. Um, but no, I mean, like it. We there is one thing we should mention though that makes this a very special Colorado-centric episode. It's your birthday. Ah, it is my birthday. It is my birthday. Everybody will be hearing this too late, but you know it's never too late to say happy belated birthday. So thanks. I won't say how much you're turning. Thanks. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's a it's a very Larry Bird. (laughs) number it is a very Larry yeah it's very Larry Bird yes and very Larry Walker my favorite baseball player of all time um as we watch fittingly enough the Rockies present to me on my birthday will be them blowing a three-run lead in the eighth (laughs) inning or later um just uh, be the same team that I've watched my entire life um so with that we welcome you into the 165th episode of the show before the show and we will get started it is like prospect promotion day 
everywhere across the minor leagues. Um, we got all kinds of big news earlier today. The Chicago White Sox promoted, like everybody in their system uh, so far today, Loy Jimenez is making the jump to AAA Charlotte. Dylan Cease is making the jump to AA Birmingham. Luis Robert is – didn't we discuss earlier in the season that Luis's last name is probably just said Robert? Yeah, because he's not Ro- French, and I don't right. know why I always say Robert. Yeah. Luis Robert is going up to Class A Advanced Winston Salem from Class A Canapolis. Um, big jumps all over that system. Uh, Top ranked prospect is Jimenez. He's going to Charlotte. Dylan Cease is number five. Luis Robert is the third ranked prospect. But this is we've discussed over the last several seasons. All star break time around the minors is when teams really like to make these promotions. This is a lot of promotions in the White Sox system. Yeah, I'm o- almost glad that we did delay the podcast by a day because this all happened today. If we had come out Wednesday, True. we'd be like, who is going to be promoted? We d- we're not entirely sure yet. Uh, there was some news last night, and we'll get to that later. But this all, pretty much all three strikes this week are going to be devoted to promotions. So starting out with the, the White Sox, who put out a press release just saying, here's everybody who's moving. And uh, the three ones that Tyler mentioned that caught our eye were Aloy Jimenez, uh, Luis Robert, and Dylan Cease. Uh, Jimenez, really excited to see him go to Charlotte, uh, not just because he is you know the number three overall prospect in the game right now, might have the best power potential in all of the minor leagues, but Charlotte has a, a launching pad of a home stadium in BB&T Ballpark, uh, one of the best in the International League, maybe one of the best in all of AAA, including some of the, the places in you know in the Pacific Coast League, like Albuquerque. We'd love to see what he could do over you know half a season in the PCL. But if he's going to go to the IL, Charlotte's a pretty fun place for him to play. Uh, certainly earned it this year, given the first half he had in the Southern League with AA Birmingham. Uh, hit 317 with a 556 slugging percentage that slugging percentage led all of southern league bats uh hit produced a 925 ops hit 10 home runs basically did exactly what we would expect Jimenez to do uh missed part of the beginning of the season with an injury came back didn't look any worse for wear had a streak in there somewhere i wish i had the number off the top of my head where he had extra base hits left and right uh we thought he could have been promoted then after he ended last year in birmingham the White Sox decided to wait for him, uh, wait so he could get recognized at the AA Southern League All-Star Game this week. Once that happened, the All-Star break ended on Wednesday. Games were going to start picking up again on Thursday. Promote him then. He's already the, the number three hitter in that Charlotte lineup. Really excited to see what he can do there. Uh, White Sox obviously not in the time to really push guys in terms of pushing them to the majors, not competing really that much even though the NL or the AL Central you know isn't that competitive this year uh, at least with the Indians trying to run away with it but would still expect Jimenez to be in Charlotte for a good long while uh, even if he does post some video game numbers there at home uh, Dylan Cease moving up to Birmingham uh, really excited for what he's been able to do this year he came over with Jimenez in last year's trade from the Cubs you know just changing the Chicago farm systems uh, some somebody who had Tommy John surgery back in 2014, fully healthy now, and has really shown that this year. Uh, 2.89 ERA with Winston-Salem, 82 strikeouts in 71 and two-thirds innings. Uh, has shown a plus-plus fastball, can certainly run that up to the high 90s, even t- topping, or touching triple digits when he wants to at times in the past. Uh, he has a plus-plus curveball as well. That's a pitch that's really gonna get you know swings and misses. The question with him has been his control, but th- this is the first time that his walk rate has dipped below 
double digits in terms of percentages has really worked on that very well uh is holding up you know extremely well in the first half of the season already at 71 and two-thirds innings pitched uh health does not seem to be a worry with him i think he threw eight innings in his last start for the dash uh so he'll start to really get pushed with this jump to to double a with the barons as we always say <coughs> the jump from class a advanced to double a is the toughest in the minors really going to be interested to see what happens when he gets tested you know against bats who will be more patient against him and you know who know his stuff can be really good are going to push him to to add a third pitch in his changeup. um so you know the the growth he had shown in the first half now it's time to put that to the test with birmingham uh and the third one i want to mention is robert um you know they signed him last year for 26 million dollars that was just before new bonus rules kicked in nobody's going to come close to touching that for a while it's more of a hard cap now uh but they really love his speed how that translates to both the base paths and in center field he's got an above average arm uh had a thumb injury that held him back to begin the year i think a lot of people wanted him to start the year at winston-salem anyways uh got held back didn't get moved to kannapolis until the beginning of this month only played 13 games with him they saw enough there it was basically like a rehab assignment uh, so now he's at Winston-Salem, where we all kind of expected him to be. Uh, only 20 years old, you know, as advanced as he was coming out of Cuba with some pro experience, uh, still being a 20-year-old at Class A advance is about on time with him. Expect for him to be there for a little while. But again, that above-average speed is going to play pretty much everywhere. He's going to be an asset defensively no matter where he goes. Now, is he going to be able to tap into you know his potential above-average power He's yet to homer uh, with Kannapolis before this, getting this call up. Is that going to play in the Carolina League? We'll be keeping an eye on that. But, you know, the White Sox, for a system that is very promising and for a fan base that is looking to move those prospects quickly, uh, Thursday was certainly a big day and an exciting day, and now we get to see what happens after all these tests. Strike two, we're going to stay in the same division in the American League Central. The Minnesota Twins promoted their number five prospect, Alex Kirilov, uh, friend of the podcast, although pre-Tommy John surgery friend of the podcast. Um, Alex Kirilov goes from the Class A Cedar Rapids Colonels to the Class A Advanced Fort, uh, Fort Myers Miracle. And for Kirilov, this has been a season where you've seen pretty gigantic incremental progress from month to month and every single number that he has put up in his slash line from month to month has gotten better his slash line in april 254 289 451 may 360 423 640 june 373 440 716 some guys just want a 716 ops alex kirilov <laughs> has a 716 slugging percentage in the month of june there wasn't a whole lot left for him to prove at this stage at uh, the Class A level in the Midwest League. But, again, a guy was selected to an All-Star team, got a chance to play in an All-Star game, went one for four in the Midwest League All-Star game, and uh, got his promotion to Class A advance. For Kirilov, a guy who was uh, a first-round draft selection back in 2016, he's still just 20 years old, and it's kind of crazy because we remember him, you know, jumping into pro ball, joined the podcast, and all of a sudden Tommy John surgery in the spring of 2017 – 
misses the entire season and you think well how much is that going to throw off his development it doesn't seem like it's thrown it off at all and maybe this is a bit of an accelerated push that he's forcing because of how well he's played but if you would have said when he was drafted in 2016 yeah by mid 2018 he's going to be in class a advanced i think that's exactly where you would have wanted him to be or maybe even a little bit further along than where you would have thought he could have been um, but being an elite level talent a guy who was such a high draft selection and is such a dynamic player um kirilov is really right now riding the kind of wave that you want a guy to be riding when he gets a promotion um and so for him he's the 98th ranked overall prospect in all baseball gonna get a chance to join a good uh fort myers team in the florida state league and test himself against really that first weeding out level the class a advanced and double a levels kind of the the spots where you figure out who you're going to be as a ball player when you climb to the upper minors, when you make it to the major leagues. Um, so for Alex Kirilov and for Minnesota Twins fans, it's pretty exciting. And as we have seen in the Twins organization in recent weeks, climbing, making it to the major leagues is not a given. It's not a godsend. It's not a, a, a statement that you're going to be there forever, as Miguel Sano can attest. We've seen so much talent climb through that system in recent years. Um, for Alex Kirilov, this is a chance to establish himself, I think, as the elite guy that everybody expects him to be um, and make that a firmly entrenched thing as he climbs the upper minors the injury is behind him the dominant statistical showing is popping up right now this is a pretty cool move uh for him at this stage in the season and pretty exciting for twins fans yeah one thing uh, that he's really shown people in this first half is a that he can be healthy that you know it, tommy john surgery for position players we said it with glaber torres and glaber torres is certainly showing that now it's not as worrisome as it is for pitchers obviously they don't need those those arms, even for outfielders, as much as pitchers do. But uh, I think he's becoming one of those hitters that could be both good average and good power. And those guys are rare. I mean, it's usually one or the other. It's you know, so you look at somebody like Royce Lewis in that same system, who is, has a chance to be a very very good hitter. We don't think he's going to play into that power. Kirilov is kind of doing both of those things, and you know, it's. You look at him, you look at somebody like Joe Adele. Uh, these are guys who are first-round talents who are becoming all-around offensive forces. And, you know, Adele got promoted to, to Class A Advanced Inland Empire a couple weeks ago uh, in his first full season. Kirilov, after losing last year, is essentially on that same path now. Uh, these guys are getting rewarded. Uh, Adele gets to play in the California League and gets to enjoy all the hitting environs there. Uh, Kirilov is really going to be tested in the FSL. He's going to be playing in some big parks and some places that are, you know, not designed for hitting uh, or don't play well for hitting. And if he can continue to be a plus hitter and a plus power hitter, uh, we're talking about him as maybe a top 50 prospect by season's end. Strike three, another promotion. Detroit Tigers organization, Sam. Alex Faido, the first-round selection last year out of the University of Florida, is moving up now to the AA Erie Seawolves. The guy who was terrific in his start to the season. He's actually already made one start so far for AA Erie, but in his first 12 outings with Class A Advanced Lakeland, a 3.10 ERA, 51 strikeouts against 13 walks in 61 innings, an opponent average of 217 and a whip of 1.02. Terrific start to the year for him. Um, an aggressive promotion, maybe not um, the most unexpected thing but you know not flat out dominance in class a advance but i like that he's going to be challenged now going up to erie yeah and and uh the reason i want to talk about this for strike three is i got to talk to him after that double a debut for erie uh he had to face the double a new hampshire fisher cats which might be one of the most i mean it definitely is one of it might be the most feared lineup in all of double a i'd put it up there with san antonio maybe uh even with vlad out 
you're still facing Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, uh, a couple other big names in that lineup. Uh, and he handled himself well. Only gave up two hits, two runs, uh, struck out a season-high seven over six innings. Really, you know, handled himself well in that debut. Uh, and, you know, when the Tigers took him in the first round last year out of the University of Florida, uh, they went on to win, you know, the, the College World Series for the first time. They did that before that happened, but he was a really strong part of that staff. Uh, one thing that got people really excited about him was that he was showing velo in the high 90s uh, during that College World Series run. And, you know, the Tigers, we talked to him last year on the podcast. We did. He was one of our guests, uh, which was kind of fun because he wasn't pitching. Uh, we got to talk to him a little bit about that, go find that interview, uh, what it's like to get drafted, to sign, and then get sent to the extended spring training facility and just kind of have to sit around because he had thrown too many innings with Florida. Uh, they, so, you know, after all that rest and after that first buildup through an offseason, first spring training, they sent him to Class A Advanced Lakeland. Uh, handles himself well, like Tyler mentioned, with all those numbers. Uh, not, you know, tearing down the, the level by any means, but certainly handling himself. And uh, an ERA around three is good. He'll take that from any pitcher. Um, but, you know, over the weekend, Al Avila, general manager of the Tigers, said, you know, yeah, we've noticed his velocity's down a little bit. It's usually around the, like I said, you know, in the, the College World Series, it was upper 90s. He was getting clocked at 97 pretty regularly. Now it's usually in the low 70s, or low 90s, excuse me. That's where he's kind of sitting. Uh, so I asked Fado about it, and he essentially just shrugged her off. He said, this is kind of who I am. I feel like I'm throwing exactly how I've always been throwing. Uh, if you want to hold me to the standard of pitching in a College World Series when I'm trying to win a title in my last year, you know, I'm going to be a little amped up. I'm going to throw a little harder. That's just natural. Now I'm trying to, you know, last a full season. Uh, he doesn't feel like anything's different. His slider is still a very special pitch. He's mentioned now that he's no longer relying on his coach to call the game. He's allowed to kind of shrug off pitches a little bit more, uh, throw what he wants to throw. He's throwing more changeups than he has. Uh, he feels more comfortable with that pitch. And, you know, those are three pitches that are going to be a starting pitcher, starting kit for anybody. Uh, right now, that Tiger system is loaded with starting pitchers. Franklin Perez has been injured. Uh, but Matt Manning has looked really good with Class A West Michigan at times. Uh, Bo Burrows, who is now... You know, his teammate at AA Erie, Kyle Funkhauser. And then they draft Casey Mize first overall. Uh, you know, I asked Fado, how do you kind of view yourself in that system now that it's loaded up on arms? You know, that's more really good starting pitchers than there is for traditional five-man rotation. And he said, listen, you look at the Houston Astros right now. Uh, last year, they were really good with the bats. Right now, they're really good with the arms. That's what we would love to be someday, just loaded up and down one through five. And if I can play a role in that, that'll be great. If I can rub off on them, if they can rub off on me, I'm really excited to build something here in Detroit. And, you know, by them moving him up, being a college guy, he's going to be a little bit more advanced. You're going to be able to push him a little bit more, even if the velocity's down a little bit. Uh, he still has that confidence. Uh, you know, maybe we're talking about a major league debut for him next year, but Detroit really in a rebuild now, uh, showing that they're re going to be able to trust Fado. They'll be able to do the same thing with Casey Mize whenever he makes his debut, whether that's this year or next year. Uh, a lot to like in that Tiger system, and Fado is certainly one of that. 
A lot of foul balls to get to as well, Sam. There have been uh, promotions. I mean, we've still got stuff coming in today as far as other promotions uh, across the minor leagues. Uh, Carter Keboom is headed up another step in the Washington Nationals organization. Tell us about that, some of the other news around the minors today. Yeah, so Keboom moves up to AA Harrisburg. Uh, the, the lead I did for that story was last time Harrisburg got a really exciting prospect. It was Juan Soto, and then he was gone, I think, eight games later. So, yeah, not yeah. a lengthy stay for Juan yeah, Soto. Yeah, so... Hopefully we can tell Harrisburg fans, like, Keeboom will be there a little bit longer. I, I don't think, you know, there's an opening for him in Washington in the same way there was with Soto. But, hey, who knows? You know, we thought the same thing about Soto. We thought he would be in the Eastern League for a while. Uh, still very exciting. Keeboom, like Soto, had some injury issues last year. Uh, has been fully healthy this year. Is fully playing up to his potential. Again, somebody who could be a pretty decent hitter. I think the hit, the power tool is a little ahead of the hit tool right now, uh, but that's really cool for being a shortstop. Uh, no real question about him sticking to shortstop right now. Maybe that conversation changes. Maybe he has to move to third base. The higher up he goes, he is kind of a big-bodied shortstop, but we're in kind of the age where that doesn't matter anymore. Uh, if you can hit and play a little bit of short, that's going to work. Uh, so he certainly works in that that way. We'll see how his power plays at double A, but, yeah, another exciting top 100 guy on the move. Minor League Baseball this time of year. Um, keep an eye on all of your favorite players because they're probably headed somewhere if they're doing very well. Um, double-A leagues are a little bit different. There are some later All-Star breaks uh, around double-A, and the triple-A All-Star game is not until July 11th. So if you're looking at guys moving in the upper levels of the minor leagues, there's a chance that those guys might not be moved until later this month or early on next month. Um, but, yeah, like we've talked about before, All-Star breaks are a very popular time for prospects to get promoted. It kind of helps you ease your way into the next level a little bit more easily um, because you're not quite as rushed schedule wise and all that type of stuff so keep an eye on where your players are right now because there's a chance that they could be changing settings coming up very soon one guy has no more settings to change in the minor leagues and we will talk with him coming up next garrett hampson the colorado Rockies' sixth ranked prospect has torn up pretty much every level since he has joined the organization back in 2016 got things started with uh boise in the class a short season northwest league was terrific during his debut season last year tore things up for class a advanced lancaster this year so far dominated double a hartford and has gotten a really good start under his belt with triple a albuquerque that's where we find him garrett hampson joining the show in episode 165 of the show before the show from M. MILB.com coming up next. the Colorado Rockies organization this week and there we find Rockies sixth ranked prospect infielder Garrett Hampson who joins the show member of the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes. Garrett what's going on? Welcome to the show man. How are you? Thank you guys. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So you are now several weeks into your stay with Albuquerque uh, started the game or started the season 38 games with AA Hartford great start to the year. Uh, 304 average through 38 games with an OPS of 857 you've jumped up to Albuquerque and kept on doing exactly what you've done through the entirety of your professional career so far uh, 286 through your stay in Albuquerque with an 812 OPS 29 games there. That is the thing that has stood out most about your career since being a third round pick in 2016 of the Rockies out of Long Beach your consistency has been really impressive how the transition to pro ball for so many guys there's so many peaks and valleys and i'm sure it's felt like you've experienced those but it seems like every single level that you've been at you've been so consistent what do you think has contributed to that so far early on in your pro career um i think uh just you know coming from long beach state just a great uh program fortunate to be around some great coaches and they kind of just i think mentally prepare their players for certain situations that pro ball brings up you know, just kind of, I would say, I would like to say I'm mentally tough. You know, I don't think I get too down or too up when I'm doing good or too, too low if I have a bad game. So I think 
just being able to be consistent and getting back to uh getting back to like the you know green and how you feel and uh i think i think that helps a lot yeah and you mentioned your time at long beach state and how that kind of you know uh, helped you get to where you are and how that was a kind of good start leading into you know your start with the rockies but what is something you were doing during your time at, at long beach that you think has translated well or something you're still using to this day even now at AAA. I mean, I think just just focusing on the little things. I think uh, you know, being able to just help the team first mentality, and not, not not get caught up in stats or any of that stuff. I mean, I think if you go out and just try to win baseball games, I think that's the most important thing. If you, and if you just focus on that, you know, I think your individual uh, you know stats or how you're playing will uh, always kind of be more consistent. And uh, as Tyler mentioned, you know, you drafted out of Long Beach State. You go to you spend all 2017 at Class A Advanced Lancaster, but only 38 games this year with Hartford before they move you up to Albuquerque. Did it feel like you had earned that call-up, or what was your kind of approach when they said, hey, by the way, we, we know it's only been a couple weeks, but we're already bumping you up to the PCL? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, – I don't know if I was, I was shocked, but I wasn't expecting that early, but uh... – I mean, like I like I said earlier, you just can't really expect. You don't really expect when it's going to happen or what's going to happen. I think you can just control what you do there. I'm not worried about, you know, I wasn't worried about getting to AAA as fast as possible, or I'm, I'm not worried about getting to the big leagues as fast as possible. I'm just focusing on every day, approaching it the same way, and, you know, if that happens, it happens. Garrett, one of the things uh, the Rockies organization has emphasized so much in recent seasons is the ability to play multiple positions. And for you, it's been shortstop, your, your college position, second base. You've also gotten some time in the outfield recently, and I know you played there. We're recording this on the 21st. You played there a couple of days ago for the Isotopes against Nashville. Tell us what that's been like in, in conversations that I've had with Zach Wilson, the Rockies player development director. The conversation is always, we want these guys to have as many pathways as possible to the major leagues wherever they can play defensively. For you, second base, shortstop, I mean, that's you know kind of the not necessarily two sides of the same coin but at least a lot of similarities but getting mm-hmm. time in center field has got to be so different how have all the the movements around defensively been for you yeah it's been good uh started getting some reps out in center field last instructional league um but i've come a long way i feel more comfortable out there now i think it's just a matter of staying focused you're not exactly in every single play so it's a little different for me but um yeah i mean i'm enjoying it just like like wilson said uh, it help, if it helps you get on the field, I think it's, it's hugely important for any player. One thing um, throughout the last couple of seasons, especially, and I know one thing that stood out about you when the Rockies drafted you and you threw your college career, your run tool is your best graded tool, 65 according to MLB Pipeline, and your ability to steal bases is very pronounced. Start to this season, 19 stolen bases versus one caught stealing with Hartford. This year so far, eight stolen bases, four caught stealings with Albuquerque. Last year, you look up and down the list of stolen base leaders in the California League, and the top four guys listed were all Lancaster Jedhawks last year. Wes Rogers, your Jedhawks teammates 70 stolen bases you had 51 last year 37 for Sam Hilliard 34 for Miles Jones I think when people think of the Rockies organization they don't necessarily think of base stealers but there's a lot of speed and a lot of guys who know how to run the bases around you what contributes to being a good base runner and being a good base stealer because it's more than just speed yeah I mean it definitely is it's more than speed I think it's uh just the ability to to pay pay attention to what what the pitcher is doing any tendencies he's got I think we just fed off each other last year you know Wes gets a stolen base you know everybody else wanted to get a stolen base too so we were just feeding off each other it was a lot of fun to be a part of that team and I think like I said just comes with preparation and 
and uh, different different keys you can key off of. Yeah, and uh, I know a couple of us talked to you guys on the Jethawks last year and saying there was a little bit of a competition to see who was going to get the most stolen bases. When one guy got one, somebody else wanted to get the next one. Right now you lead the organization in steals. Uh, how much of bragging or how many bragging rights do you feel like you have? Is that still like a text thread you guys have as former teammates and speed speed stealers and all that kind of stuff? Is that something you guys still talk about? Yeah, that's kind of funny. I mean, it's kind of like a running joke we have. It's like, you know, you can't steal first base. So I think that's the biggest key is you got to get on base first. And uh, sometimes that's the hardest part. So uh, I know, uh, you know, they're not too far behind. But um, once, you, once, you, once you get on first base, it's easy from there. Garrett, as a, a Long Beach State guy, we ask you know the big time college guys about their programs all the time. But Long Beach State's um, reputation as being a factory for producing, especially infielders, is so pronounced and so well known. But when you look up and down the list of guys who went through there, from Bobby Crosby and Troy Tulowitzki, a guy who uh, everybody in the the Colorado system and, and Colorado fans are so familiar with, Evan Longoria is in the same division now as your parent club uh, over with the Giants. What is it about? that program that produces talent to the to the degree that it does because a lot of programs produce major leaguers but long beach state when it produces major leaguers seems to produce elite major leaguers what is it about long beach state that that creates that atmosphere i mean i think just the, from day one you show up to the to the campus and um you know you're not you're not given anything you got to go earn everything that you get and uh, i think just like in pro ball you got to come ready to play every day and and get better every single day because there's people below you getting better and you know that can pass you up that's they're trying to take your job so i think you know i think the infield as far as just just trying to get better every day with with your defensive skill and um i think it goes a long way one of the things too in programs like that everybody always talks about the accountability and how good players are around you and throughout your Rockies career you've been kind of joined level to level by a guy who everybody's focused on a lot in the system in Brendan Rodgers who right now probably won't be in double a Hartford for long and, and could theoretically be joining you in triple a Albuquerque pretty soon but um, a guy who was a first round pick and and tremendously talented and a lot of hopes in him and that organization for you guys to have played together and have kind of gotten to push each other and get to know each other from level to level what what makes him successful what do you like watching with Brendan Rodgers and what do you think is something that he would say about you that he likes to take away from getting a chance to play in middle infields with you yeah I mean I think uh we, we work really well together we we see it off of each other obviously you know the talent is is through the roof with the guy um but I think just like you know he, his confidence level he always knows that you know he's one of the best players on the field every single day and I think he takes that into into account every day and he, he it's not like a, it's not a bad thing it's a great thing about him and um i think he'll always he'll always be there just because of his confidence and um obviously his his ability but um i think he'll say the same about me i think we just feed off each other well uh we try to help each other out as much as possible communicate and uh yeah it's been a fun ride playing with him look forward to a lot more years and uh, just kind of getting back to you specifically, the the way you've developed this year, I was looking at some of your numbers. I know you said you're not necessarily a big stats guy, but one thing I noticed was, you know, your walk rate is up a tick this year. And I know for some people it's, it's one thing to just say, you know, I'm going to take more walks this year, and it's easier said than done. Um, is that something you're kind of focused on? Because like you said, you can't steal first base, so you have to get there in order to take advantage of your speed. Um, you know, to be the stereotypical leadoff guy you need to take your walks how how do you kind of improve that skill and is it something you're focusing on 
Uh, I wouldn't say I'm focusing necessarily on, you know, drawing more walks, but I think it's just as simple as I'm trying not to swing at balls. You know, I think um, patience as a hitter is a key, but at the same time, you, you know, you have to be aggressive in, in counts. you got to be aggressive to the fastball. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm trying to take more walks, but, um, you know, laying off good pitchers' pitches is, is part of getting getting on base, and that's what I've been doing so far. Gear that approach, you know, getting on base and all that type of stuff is even more lethal when you play in an organization that has a lot of offensive parks and leads to eventually the most offensive park in baseball history uh, in Coors Field. And that's something that I know, especially when the Rockies moved into uh, Lancaster ahead of, uh, of last season, that being the most offensive friendly park in the minor leagues, that I know the organization kind of said, we don't want our guys to focus on this. But at the same time, it's a reality. I mean, playing at Coors Field is a reality. And throughout the system, you look at Grand Junction and Boise and Asheville and Lancaster, even Hartford to an extent, and Albuquerque, they're all very hitter-friendly atmospheres. Um, for you guys, is that something that's that's discussed much? I mean, do you think about, you know, you don't want to get too in love with your numbers at a place like Lancaster because they're probably not going to stay that way forever. Um, but at the same time, you sort of have to be able to tailor your offensive approach to hit everywhere, which means you're going to hit in some inflated offensive parks. Is that something that's talked about at all with how to approach the fact that you're going to be playing in a lot of those parks and that's what's going to eventually lead you to playing in that at the ultimate level? Yeah, I think, you know, everybody's aware of, of how the field plays that certain day. But, um, you know, in, in general, I think you just got to stay with your approach because, like you said, you know, in the next couple of games you could not be playing at that park. So, um if you try to change change your approach to what the, what the field's doing, I don't, I don't think it's going to do you much much good. So I think just to be able to stick to your approach and uh, kind of you can't really control what ballpark you're you're playing at that day. So I mean I don't think that helps to to change or think about it at all. All right, Garrett. Well, we want to kind of switch the focus to even before your Rockies career, even before your Long Beach State career. Uh, in doing research for this interview, you know your MLB pipeline blurb mentions that you were uh, the the nine slash ten year old division winner of the pitch hit and run competition at the 2005 All Star Game in Detroit. Going to the pinch hit and run competition website, it says you're technically in the Hall of Fame for that competition. Hall of Famer Garrett Hampson. Yeah, so I don't know if you knew that, but congratulations <laughs> on that honor. Uh, talk about. I did what, not what, know that. Thank you. Yeah, well, there you go. Sir. Search your name into Google and Hall of Fame and see if that's the first thing that pops up. Um, but what All was right. that, that competition like, you know, competing on that stage at an all-star game in Detroit, you know, in 2005 when you're not even a teenager yet? Uh, how did that kind of start your baseball life and, and uh, what did you take away from that time? Yeah, I mean, it was it was an awesome time. Uh, used to, back in uh, Reno, Nevada, used to live like right across the street from a Little League field and I... They, you know, it was always a big deal, you know, the pitch hit and run competition. And, uh, you know, so I started playing in it and got, got to each round. And, and sure enough, I, I qualified for the, the national, the national championships, which was in, uh, the all-star game. And those little guys running around in the outfield at the home run derby that, you know, got to do that. No way. You Missed, were one uh, of those David kids? Ortiz. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. That's like the, that's one of the perks of, uh, of playing in that. So <laughs> I remember trying to catch David Ortiz's pop-ups and in, in the home run derby in 2005 it was pretty fun you were uh, yeah, kids great, trying to like steal homers were you like jumping no no those were all the <laughs> those were all the fifth those are all the 15 year olds okay, stealing right. from us but fair enough yeah well, well part of that is the pitching competition you know the hitting we know you can do at the pro level the running we certainly know you could do at any level uh, but the pitching is also involved there 
what were you throwing then and how long did your pitching career exactly last <laughs> it didn't last too much longer than that but uh <laughs> there was a little there was a little strike zone that you had to uh hit from 60 feet away and uh, i was actually I had some pretty good aim I, I wouldn't say i had the best uh velo but um yeah i was, I was throwing strikes I mean, if we're measuring velo for nine and ten year olds, then I think we have a problem. So accuracy is a good. Place <laughs> yeah, to start. I think you're right there. <laughs> Garrett yeah, Hampton, no the sixth ranked prospect in the Rockies organization. You can find Garrett on Twitter. He is at gham2, and you can also find him in the Pacific Coast League with the AAA Albuquerque Isotopes. And uh, better find him soon, because maybe not for long with the way things have been going so far in 2018. And Garrett, congratulations so far on all the success, and uh, thanks for joining us today. We've enjoyed it, and best of luck the rest of the way, man. Yeah, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Well, this week we are breaking new ground in that Sam Dykstra is sitting to my right and Benjamin Hill flying solo for this week's conversation with Ben. Cats are walking dogs. Is that how it goes? No, dogs are walking people. Cats and dogs getting along. Whatever it is. Hello, Ben. If the cats were walking the dogs, that'd be really It would also be weird, yeah. It just wouldn't be the alternate universe we're all used to. That's all. Hi, Ben. Yeah. Hey, guys. I mean, in fairness, if cats are walking dogs or dogs are walking cats, it would be weird either way. It would be a weird universe. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, So either way, things are weird, as we know. But for those of you keeping score, Sam is to my right this week. So now you know. Um, And uh, and Ben joins us fresh off of a, a road trip in which you packed a ton in and got to visit the Lake County Captains, the Mahoning Valley Scrappers, the Toledo Mud Hens, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps, taking a tour through uh, mostly the state of Ohio. How was uh, how was the trip? It was great. I mean, I got back, uh, flew back from Detroit yesterday, and today's my first day back in the office. And uh, yeah, as I was saying to you guys, you know, off air before we started, it just feels surreal to me that I was only gone a week or even a little less than a week because every day was an adventure and uh, a lot of energetic nights at the ballpark. And uh, yeah, I'm exhausted, but it was, it was all good. I feel good. I feel the best I ever had, actually. Oh, wow. That's all pretty, right. well, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, that's a rousing endorsement of a trip through the Midwest. <laughs> uh, there's two stops in particular I want to kind of touch on before we get into the other stuff, but this was kind of a unique trip for you in that you got to sneak in uh, the Midwest League All-Star Game in your trip to Lansing and also an opening night in your trip to Mahoning Valley when the New York Penn League began uh, last week. Um, what was it like to, to be in those two atmospheres? I mean, those are different from you just showing up to the park and, and getting you know your normal run-of-the-mill ballpark experience. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You're trying to capture the nature of the thing. But these were two kind of special trips in that way. Uh, what was it like to be in both Mahoning Valley and Lansing for those nights? Yeah, I mean, Mahoning Valley I hadn't been to uh, in seven years. And uh, coincidentally, it was an opening day 2011, the last time I visited them. I mean, I didn't seek out to do that, but that's how it worked on the schedule. Um, you know, they've been playing at the same ballpark since their first season, and I believe it was 99, 98-99. Um, and they've, they've got a lot of improvements to it this year, which is good to see. So they had a, a, a new energy, um, a much-needed uh, scoreboard, some new concession areas. Uh, and there was just like a sense of optimism surrounding, uh, surrounding the ball, the team, which, you know, I think ties in with opening day. Um, 
in general, but I think because the offseason had and the improvements they made, uh, it seemed like things were looking up in, in Mahoning Valley. And, uh, you know, that's a f- interesting ballpark uh, for those that haven't been there. It's Eastwood Field, and it's part of essentially the Eastwood Mall. So you're in a giant, giant shopping complex with a literal mall, big box stores like Target. And then the ballpark is just right behind that as part of this huge shopping complex. Uh, so it's kind of a surreal environment. But then once you get into the ballpark, it faces in the other direction away from all the stores and it feels kind of secluded. So it's a pretty surreal environment. But, yeah, great energy. And, uh, yeah, then the All-Star game. You know, I never covered really an All-Star game in, in my road trip type uh persona uh ben's biz on the road and first time i've been in lansing in five years and that was an incredible night um just uh, talk about great energy first of all there was the east team and the west team and the east team was a team just from the home run derby on you'd think that team had been playing together all year round they just seemed to love each other tons of camaraderie and then the gray team the west they seemed like they were they, they were like the personification of gray. They didn't have that same energy. <laughs> they didn't have that same camaraderie. And um, it was something I'd never really thought of, like the dynamic of an all-star team. But it was really interesting to watch, especially being there on the field for hours at the home run derby and everything. Um, just the difference in the mentality of the two teams. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist, a writer try to be impartial but you know in my heart of hearts i really wanted the east team to win and they did in the 10th inning so not only was this perhaps the first all-star game ever with the new extra inning rules where you start a runner on second base but then they announced on top of that regardless of what happens the game will only be 10 innings period (laughs) and so (laughs) so it was a double whammy of uh, time constraints and uh the grays the West uh, did not score in the top of the 10th. And in the bottom of the 10th, uh, two outs, two strikes. Montrell Marshall, uh, who's a member of the Dayton Dragons, hit a walk-off single to win the game. And it was just really cool to see that up close and personal. And, uh, again, see the way they celebrated and see the way they seemed to all love each other. So I actually got a uh, Midwest League poster with all the players on it. And I think I'm just going to keep that poster and follow these players, particularly on the East, uh, just as a fan. Because that game really made me just feel like a fan. That's pretty cool. Not a whole lot of people get to experience minor league all-star games, um, and you obviously travel around a lot, see a lot of regular season games. What was the coolest thing that stood out about the difference of an all-star game atmosphere from uh, a regular season atmosphere? Because, of course, one of the neat things is the way the home fans react to their own players who were on the all-star team, um, which, you know, being as part of the home team, which played so well and was so fun to watch, has got to be cool to watch um, as well. But what stood out that was kind of neat about the all-star game versus just going to some regular season? games well yeah just uh, yeah different energy um you know it's a tuesday night which for any team you know it's tough to get a crowd but i think the Lugnuts did a real good job as promoting this as a premier event so you had a sold out crowd it felt like a weekend night the quality of play it's still class a and maybe i was biased because i knew i was watching an all-star game but it just feel it felt tighter and crisper and better than most class a baseball so it did seem like an elevated level of play and i found myself wondering like would this class a all-star team beat certain teams at double a which doesn't really make sense because they'd be in double (laughs) a but um you know i was thinking about those things and you know and a bit of a looser more informal atmosphere you know from the players um you know i got a video it did pretty well on social media just a little clip of there was a pitching change and all the members of the east team outfield converged in center field and signed autographs throughout the entirety of the break in the action 
like three names on each ball and then would throw them back up into the crowd. And they were so into it. It wasn't like they were coerced. They were, they, you could tell they just found the joy in, uh, you know, being able to loosen up and make these kids day and just uh, really enjoy the moment. You know, kind of, it was one of those nights that did kind of make me, uh, you know, like any job, you can get a little cynical or burned out on certain things. Uh, and this was a night that uh, made me feel pretty you know, romantic about minor league baseball, if you will. Yeah, and w- one thing uh, I want to touch on, too, that we haven't talked about yet is after that Mahoning Valley trip uh, on June 15th, the next day you went to Toledo. Um, and I just want to ask about, like, what's the juxtaposition of that going from, like you said, it w- was an opening night and there is a certain buzz in the ballpark for, uh, you know, the Class A short season Mahoning Valley, but that is short season ball compared to, you know, the behemoth that can be AAA, especially at Toledo, which usually does pretty well. Uh, what was it like to go to those two ballparks back to back? Yeah, well, definitely juxtaposition, juxtaposition uh, in terms of, um, yeah, obviously style, uh, size, and level of play, and and also location. As I was talking about, Mahoning Valley being in the back of a mall, and Toledo Fifth Third Field is a downtown ballpark. Um, you know, again, um, I hadn't been to Toledo in seven years, and I was kind of there on a dead night, and I liked it, but it didn't make a huge impression. Uh, Toledo really made an impression on me this time around. I mean, part of it is that, um, you know, they've done a lot of development around the stadium. The team has bought uh, a lot of the real estate. So the entire block around the ballpark they call Hensville with all these bars and restaurants and just kind of a party atmosphere. So seeing that on Saturday night, again, you know, just to go back to energy, there was a great energy in Toledo. And, uh, you know, they can provide so many different distinct vantage points of watching the game not just in this large ballpark but in some of the buildings they now own which have rooftop views and what have you uh so really cool to get the full experience there um and then plus from my angle you know they have a uh, you know a very large front office staff because they also run the toledo walleyes hockey team so i essentially had uh, a guy with me the entire night just like making sure there was always something awesome to be a part of and so it was a really energetic <laughs> night and you know, I say yes to everything I can on the road. In the third inning, I did the Culligan's Chill Challenge, Culligan being a local water uh, delivery yeah, company. Yeah, how was that? And so the entirety of the third inning, I spent in an ice-filled trough uh, on the concourse in the outfield. And it was really something else. I, you know, I've done the polar bear swim in Coney Island. I'm used to getting in cold water, but I'd never stayed in cold water. And... Uh, when I first got in the water and after a minute or two, I was thinking like, forget it. I got to get out of here. This is brutal. This is unhealthy. And then I got used to it and just kind of enjoyed the absurdity and the, the challenge of it, of just staying in this icy water, uh, for almost 20 minutes throughout the entirety of the third inning. And, uh, then afterwards, you know, I'm down like in the tunnels off the dugout, like changing my clothes and shivering wildly. And, and, uh, just thinking like, my goodness, this is like my job right now. It just felt so surreal. And then from there to go upstairs and start doing some food coverage, you know, I just felt like almost like I was in a dream at that point. So I mean, talk about a memorable night. I was just, it was just whiplash from one to the other. And I probably got like mild hypothermia at one point. And just (laughs) for all of that to be part of the same night was, was just crazy i went to bed that night just like what happened and then you know had to wake up just in a matter of hours and go to fort wayne for a day game (laughs) um 
uh, Father's Day uh, matinee to close out the first half of the Midwest League season, and it was like 100 degrees in Fort Wayne. It was so hot. So it was just that kind of trip. But it's a beautiful ballpark, as you guys know, parking field. So it was that kind of trip, just like whiplash from one thing to the next, but a, a lot of great environments. Yeah, tell us a little bit about Fort Wayne, too. Great ballpark. It's a downtown ballpark as well. Um, and getting a chance to be there for a day game. What uh, I know you got a chance to, to race uh, in a tricycle race on a day that was brutally hot. Um, what, was, what was the coolest thing about Fort Wayne? Yeah, well, I, I, I suited up as a princess in a Mario Kart-inspired tricycle race um, where I came in a distant third place to Yoshi and Luigi. Um, because my Yoshi was always the best in Mario Kart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Undeniably. and I apologize to those on Twitter. I said I raced Mario and Luigi. It was Yoshi and Luigi. I'm sorry. Um, I got it wrong. <laughs> it was Yoshi and Luigi. I was princess. It was super hot. I finished in third place. Maybe I would have finished in third anyway, but as soon as the race started, my shoelace came untied and wrapped around the pedal, and I got stuck. Uh. So, like, you know, what's a man to do? Um, so it was a super hot day, which unfortunately colored a little bit of the experience just because of how hot it was. But that is a beautiful ballpark in the middle of downtown. And um, it has truly, you know, this is a whole topic for another day. And uh, we all know that, you know, public funding for stadiums is always controversial. And it's kind of a mixed bag in terms of the results of, uh, you know, how much is spent versus how much is gained. But Fort Wayne is one of those places where they built a stadium in downtown and truly transformed the downtown as part of the ballpark, with the ballpark being the catalyst for that. And um, so I do think if you want a story on the pro side of uh, spending money for a stadium, Fort Wayne is is one of the absolute uh, poster children for that. And um, it was funny, when I got to the ballpark, went up to the press box and I run into Dan Watson, who was the play-by-play broadcaster for Fort Wayne last time I visited seven years ago. Now he's in the city and works for Fort Wayne's kind of, uh, I don't know the exact title, but Convention Visitors Bureau, uh, you know, works with economic development in the city. So I'll have a story on that, talking to the former broadcaster who returned to Fort Wayne after he was done broadcasting to essentially work on behalf of the city he fell in love with. So a uh, pretty cool story there, uh, him personally, but also just the city itself and how much the tin caps have meant. And just kind of wrap up the trip as a whole, you know, maybe it's too close. Like you said, you just got off the plane from Detroit uh, not too long ago. But do you feel like there was some common theme to this trip that kind of tied all this together? It was a trip through the Midwest. Uh, there is the, kind of the geographic connection there with that, everywhere you went to. But anything you noticed that was very similar at all these different parks that kind of ties in Ohio, Indiana, Michigan? Um, in the ballparks themselves, not so much. Um but, you know, yeah, I flew into Cleveland and started in Lake County, just out of Cleveland, and, you know, ended uh, in Lansing out of Detroit. So to me, it was just, for the most part, being in the Midwest. And maybe it was a good time of year. Maybe I got lucky, um, you know, with the nights I attended. But it did feel very Midwestern in terms of just being friendly from place to place and uh, and just uh, unpretentious, as, as stereotypical as that is, you know just not just at the ballparks but in driving around and interacting with people um you know a lot of flat drives and uh and just from place to place to place just kind of feeling comfortable it's it's an area you know i was born in ohio maybe you know even though i moved before i was two maybe in a way i felt like i was back home well ben let's pivot and talk about uh, a relocation on the minor league landscape the uh Rookie-level Orem Owls of the Pioneer League, the affiliate of Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, announced yesterday 
we're recording this on Thursday the 21st, that they are likely moving. Didn't say for sure that they're moving, but that they are likely moving to Pueblo, Colorado uh, to uh, set up camp there, which will be kind of a travel partner situation with Colorado Springs, which will have the team that's moving from Helena starting next year. This move, if it happens, would be for 2020. Um, what's your initial reaction to this? Orem has been... I guess maybe the team in the Pioneer League that would have been next slated to move behind Helena with some attendance issues over the last several seasons, that type of stuff. Uh, Pueblo has pledged money uh, to build and expand their youth sports complex, um, which was a very attractive thing to Orem's ownership. But give us just kind of your reaction to to this news from Orem. Yeah, you know, we started seeing the um, local articles a couple weeks ago talking about a a team maybe moving to Pueblo, and we all said, well, you know, what could that be? Uh, I think Aura makes sense for a relocation. Their ballpark, um, and I'm blanking on the name of the college, but, you know, they share the ballpark with the college team Utah on the Valley, college I campus. Believe. Yes, thank you, Utah Valley. So it's never really been their ballpark. And when I did visit there, oh, just last year, losing track of time, I visited there last year, and, you know, you got the view of the Wasatch Mountains, like in all the Utah ballparks. So it's a pretty cool environment, but. You know, they don't really control much of the operation. They don't get into the ballpark until right before opening day in mid-June. Uh, it didn't have a sense of really being a distinctly minor league environment, and it kind of felt like an, an, a little antiseptic to me. Um, and I think the team was struggling with that, with kind of not having their own home to really create a true minor league atmosphere. And a lot of the front office staff is you know, kind of working part-time for the team while I do other things with the university or otherwise uh, for the rest of the year. So there's just not a culture there to really cultivate the true minor league uh, spirit. So I think a move makes sense in that front. And, uh, and, and Tyler, as he mentioned, with uh, Colorado Springs becoming Pioneer League, this does create a nice travel partner for them. And uh, all of a sudden, there can be three teams in Colorado, and two of them are going to be in the rookie-level Pioneer League if this all goes through. Uh, of course, the requisite approvals are needed, and I think they need to hammer out some details on the ballpark funding. But this looks pretty likely that we'll see the Orem Owls go to Pueblo. Uh, Pueblo. I keep saying, how do you say? It? You guys are in Colorado. How do you how do you say? It? Well, up here? Don't, don't ask me. They didn't. <laughs> I say Pueblo, but there there is uh, there's like an old guard of Colorado people that pronounces it Pueblo, which I think nah. is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. So we'll say Pueblo. Like all right, let's go. Would. All right, let's go with let's go Pieble. with the normals and call Pueblo. Um, one thing that's interesting about this, Ben, the Owls have already said that the uh, location name will change, but they're going to keep the Owls name, which is interesting. Do you remember? And I feel like maybe this did happen recently, but a team choosing to forego the cash cow that is a total rebrand with a move is very rare across minor league baseball, especially moving to a city that's had minor league baseball teams in the past and has had some cool names. Pueblo, I was looking on baseball reference the other day, I had a team named the Ponies in the early 1900s. They had teams named the Steelworkers, the Rollers. There were some cool team names in Pueblo, but they're going to be the Pueblo Owls, apparently. Do you remember any other teams moving but keeping the name? In Like you mentioned, in, in recent years, no. I mean, we're so much in the era of rebranding, uh, almost always for relocation and also just staying in the same market in a lot of cases, as, as you guys know. Um, so it's really surprising. And Orem Owls, you had the alliteration and it made a little more sense. So... I guess they're comfortable enough with their branding and what they can do with it uh, in Colorado to keep the name, but I was surprised by that. I mean, per, you know, speaking for myself, if I was in the unlikely scenario of relocating a minor league team in this scenario, 
you know, I would definitely want <laughs> to have a new name, um, one, to just have a clean slate, and two, for publicity leading up to the team uh, playing its first game. You know, you, you guys know as well as anyone, those name-the-team contests get people talking. It might not always yeah. be positive publicity at first, but that's part of the formula. So to come in and say this is what the team is going to be called um, – right out, then you kind of lose a huge element of uh, creating excitement and a little controversy in the community before you play. Um, yeah, in terms of the only example I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's many others in terms of a team staying the same, um, and it's not too recent. And again, talking about Tyler Otto, uh, <laughs> Tyler Otto, Tyler talking about Colorado. That's what it's renamed. In my <laughs> yeah. we're, we're printing <laughs> t-shirts as we speak now. <laughs> yeah, it's Tyler Otto. Tyler Otto shirts. Um, the Denver Zephyrs moved to New Orleans and just kept the Zephyrs name. And New Orleans' rationale at the time was, well, we have a famous roller coaster in New Orleans called the Zephyr, so it works here too. And Denver was a reference to a train line. And then it went, they went all the way to New Orleans and were like, yeah, we have a roller coaster, so we'll yeah, keep we'll it. We'll just keep it. Yeah, but we, you know that, that was a couple decades ago. We don't see that sort of thing much anymore. So Orm Al, <coughs> excuse me, bucking the trend. Going to be strange. Going to be strange, the Oral Mals. Um, especially with the rest of this plan to come to Pueblo, they're building apparently um, several new hotels, three or four new hotels. They're going to try to use this new ballpark as part of this big push to host a ton of youth baseball, um, amateur baseball, baseball for uh, physically disadvantaged people as well. Um, so to do all that, which is very forward thinking, but say, now eh, we're going to keep the Owls name just seems very strange. But uh, we'll see how that goes along as this move, if it does or does not happen, which again was kind of weirdly worded in which they said a likely move in 2020, uh, maybe putting some pressure on the community of Orem. But as it looks right now, more baseball on the front range in Colorado. Uh, and uh, Benjamin Hill is here to cover it all, however it progresses over the next couple of seasons. You can find Ben on Twitter, where he is at Ben's Biz. You can check out the blog with all the stuff on the road trips at bensbiz.mlblogs.com and more stuff on the site as well. And uh, Ben, thanks, buddy. Good to have you back uh, in the office. And Sam Dexter, to my right, I would imagine we'll say the same thing when he gets to see you again. Yeah. We'll yeah, see you yeah, soon, but- Ben. Yeah, I miss you, Sam. And Tyler, I always miss you because you're almost never around. But uh, hopefully we can all be together again one day. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy your time. And uh, I hope you enjoy all the time you have together because I'm sure you'll really have a great time. And it's Tyler Otto. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show podcast thanks for tuning in wherever you found us we're on itunes we're on google play we're everywhere else give us a rating and review and a subscription if you would like and uh that'll lead us into our milb tv picks to click i don't think we've ever used that term no we haven't it's like every cheesy broadcast uh lead segment who's your pick to click on milb tv this week sam I, I want to brand that somehow, and I don't know how. Um, From like a mouse company. Yeah. Well, I mean, Logitech. Pick to click. As anybody who's ever listened to this podcast before and knows we don't use pick to click. <laughs> we don't. Uh, we don't. We usually, true. It, for this segment, we're going to pick somebody we talked about earlier. So mine is going to be, you know, Eloy Jimenez is now a AAA ball player. You might as well be able to watch him uh, this weekend as Charlotte hosts Toledo. Uh, by the time you guys hear this, Toledo will be in town in Charlotte for a three-game set. Like I said, it, it's going to be really cool to see him play in that park, which can be really homer-friendly. Uh, would not be surprised to see him hit, like, two homers in his first four games or something like that. Maybe he'll even hit two homers in his debut. Maybe I'll be wrong by the time you guys hear this. Who knows? Uh, but they'll be going up against Toledo. You'll definitely want to be watching that. Jesper Eloy. 
Uh, but also, Kristen Stewart is on that Toledo team, and you know he's got got a lot of power. He was leading the IL in home runs. He might still be. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, um, but. It could turn into a home run derby at any point this weekend. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, Toledo at Charlotte, be able to tune in. And, you know, who knows? You might see some wacky numbers. The guest of this week's episode of the show before the show, Garrett Hampson, he and his Albuquerque Isotopes will be on the road this weekend taking on the Fresno Grizzlies. And Fresno, no matter what, is always an entertaining team loaded with prospects in that Astros organization. Um, so you can check that game out. Uh, if you're a late viewer, you can watch that game. 10.05 start time's coming up this weekend. Um, Garrett Hampson, one of the entertaining guys on the Albuquerque side. But Rymel Tapia is still on that team. Um, who knows? Maybe at some point. And you'll see Brendan Rodgers on that roster uh, in short order as well. So those games coming up on the West Coast on MILB.TV as well. And, uh, hey, that'll do it. Sam and I are going to go have a fun weekend. <laughs> and we hope you, too, have a yeah, fun weekend. Yeah, we hope you also have a fun weekend. Right. We probably won't see you. But if we do, uh, make sure to come up and say hello. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. He's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.